Hello friends, my name is Jeremy McCandless. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. In this episode, we're continuing our journey together through the book of Leviticus, exploring these intricate rituals. The one today is called the Sin Offering. And what I'll attempt to do is shed some light on its symbolism and its implication for us as believers today. This sin offering is a poignant reminder that as redeemed, saved individuals, we may still unintentionally transgress God's commandments. Despite the unintentional nature of these sins, they must at some level be acknowledged and atoned for. Let's see how God begins to describe this process as you join with me together today studying a very long passage, Leviticus chapter 4 verse 1, all the way through to 5.13. Due to the length of the passage today, I shall only be reading part of it, but referring to it throughout, still going through it verse by verse. But if I was to read the, the whole passage separately, it's about 70 verses, and I reckon would take over 15 minutes. So today, the link to a full text of the scripture will be available in the episode notes page on the Buzzsprout host website. So with that all said, that's it for today. It's going to be a biggie, so I'll drop straight in and pick up where we left off last time. Bye-bye for now. Now, sadly, as you probably know from experience, but even believers commit sins. And you will also know that if you study the Bible, that sin is something that is said to come between everyone and God, even a believer and God. So the question is, how do we deal with that kind of problem? As believers, we still sin. Well, the answer may sound pretty simple, And most people think they know that, certainly Christians do anyway, but there are some ramifications that work out of this and I think that we need to discuss them. And in this book of Leviticus it gives us ideal opportunity to do that. You see in this book there are a number of sacrifices or offerings, memorials are even called, and as I've pointed out in this series these are meant to be reminders for God's people. They're not actually about salvation. They are minders for believers, redeemed people in those days, saved believers today, but it's telling both groups of people the same thing. The people it was written to had of course been redeemed out of Egypt, and this is a situation where the Lord gave them these ordinances, these rituals, these things that he wants them to do and obey. But their purpose, remember, was not to save those people. That had already happened. They'd already been delivered. Rather, it was to tell them, as believers, the things they should do as aid memoirs, if you like, memorials, because the Lord wanted them to remember some very core, important things. There's going to be five altogether, and we've done three so far. The first you remember was the burnt offering, which was to remind them that the redemption is always based on a blood sacrifice. And for us today, that was fulfilled through the blood of Christ. Then we looked at what was called a meal offering. That was a couple of days ago, which told us that God has provided for us 
every day providentially and that we should acknowledge that, thank him for that and trust him for that into the future. And then we saw yesterday in chapter 3 what was called the peace offering and I suggested that because of the fact this is the only sacrifice where the one offering the sacrifice took a portion home with an instruction to eat it with his family, that this is telling us that following this sacrifice it was trying to build in, in embed fellowship into this worshipping, believing community. Now the fourth sacrifice offering that we've come to today, it's actually named and it's called the sin offering. So what I want us to to do today is look at the sin offering and based on its name, I think you'll agree it's pretty obvious that this offering has to do with sin in the life of a redeemed believer. So with that in mind, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 4 and I'll just begin by reading the first two verses because they're a sort of introduction to what's going to follow. Leviticus 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally against any of my commandments of the Lord, anything which ought not to be done. Now I'm going to pause right there, and let's consider what this introduction is telling us right away. It begins with the phrase, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now this phrase will reappear again in chapter 5 verse 14. So it suggests very strongly that this section, which I'm dealing with today, from 4.1 to 5.13 forms a cohesive unit. And we're going to be examining that whole section today. Now another key point in the introduction here is mentioned the fact that sometimes these sins are unintentional. Now the Hebrew word could also be translated as accidental or inadvertent applying that this offering also applies to actions that are not done with conscious intent. It's sin without necessarily the person involved being a deliberate defiance or rebellion against God. In other words, it's covering all those sins that stem from human weakness. This offering will address errors, oversights, even ignorance, or even lack of consideration or carelessness towards others. Now, while I could provide specific examples of inadvertent sins at this stage, this passage is actually going to do that for us later, so we'll address it when we get to those. But for now, we'll just follow the flow of the passage and explore the offenders and those who might commit sins. And Moses initially begins by outlining three categories of people that this would apply to. So verse 3 and 4 tells us this, If the anointed priest sins bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. So who's the anointed priest? Well, the answer is, this is talking about the high priest. He's the only priest who is described as anointed. So it's this guy who's committed this unintentional sin and he's told to bring his bull to the door of the tabernacle to lay hands on it and kill it. Now I'm sure straight away that will sound familiar with everything we've heard before. As we've looked through these offerings, what they do, they do in a very similar way. And in this case again, the offender of the sin offers the sacrifice, which the laying the hands on the head ritually involve putting the sin on the sacrificial animal as a symbolic gesture. And then the ritual that follows on from that is exactly the same pattern as the other offerings, but with the distinctive features 
in the details pertaining to what is done with the blood. That's the only thing that's going to be different. And we'll see that in the next couple of verses. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. Now, if you recall, in the prior offerings, the blood was always sprinkled around the altar at the entrance to the tabernacle. But now the high priest is to go into the tabernacle proper itself. And if you remember, that tabernacle, that building, is divided into two parts. A holy place divided with a veil to a holy of holy places. So here the high priest goes in front of the area where the Lord resides in the Holy of Holies and he stands before the veil and he sprinkles the blood before the Lord. By showing us that little detail, that makes it different to what was done with the other offerings. Then verse 7 says, And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this brazen altar has four little horns on the four corners. You may remember that when we talked about it in Exodus. And he is told to sprinkle some of the blood on those four horns. So, this again is different to what is done previously. It continues, He shall take the fat of the bull of the sin offering. So again, there's this list where he goes through. The valuable parts are removed from the bull and sacrifice on the altar for burning. Now, we've seen this before in all the other offerings. And we are told here again that this proportion belongs to the Lord. Verses 11 and 12 say, But the bull's hide and all its flesh, with its head and legs, its entails, shall be carried outside of the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured and, and burn it on the wood with fire where ashes are poured out. It shall be burned. Now all these verses are telling us what to do when a high priest has committed a sin, even unintentionally. And this was the ritual he had to go through. Some of it is similar to the previous offerings, but you note some of it is different. We'll come back and explain why when we round up at the end, but for now let's continue on and look at the next offence. And this is one, not the priest this time, but where the whole congregation, the whole community has sinned. So verse 13 says, Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which should not be done, and are guilty. So in the first case, it was the high priest. Now, it's the whole community. Sometimes, apparently, the whole community committed an unintentional sin. And when they did this, this is the procedure that they were told to follow. When the sin which has been committed becomes known... Then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. Now, interesting again that the sin mentioned here specifically is unintentional. They might not even know they've done it. As a matter of fact, the King James Version translates this whole section under the title of dealing with the sins of ignorance, as it calls them. So they're not aware of the sin. They're not aware that what they did was a sin, but at some point it seems people become aware, it dawns on them, and this is a procedure then they must follow. 
And I think for us too, sometimes things dawn on us that we've not done things as we should. So this is their procedure. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. So again, the laying on of hands, an act of identification, and the elders are representing the entire community, and they're laying hands on the sacrifice to identify their sin with it. And then it says, The anointed priest shall bring some of the blood to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord, again in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar as a burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, all of this is a repetition of what the priest had to do. But in this case, it's been done, yes, in the same way, but it's on behalf of the congregation. And then it tells us in verses 20 to 21 that they, it's offered as a, as a sin offering. And then it says, so the priest shall make atonement for them to be forgiven. And then he shall again carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. Okay, so far we've had this, this sin offering introduced and we're in the portion of the passage where it tells us about dealing with it on two potential occasions. If the high priest had committed an unintentional sin and then if the whole congregation, the whole community had. But now there's a third type of person going to be mentioned and the sin of atonement now and what's to do when it applies to a ruler. And it says 22 to 26, when a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God and is guilty, or if his sin when he has committed comes to his knowledge, and then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar, pour its blood at the base of the altar for a burnt offering, and so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven. Okay, all very similar. But so far we've had three groups of people, the high priest, the whole congregation, and now the ruler. And now a fourth group is mentioned beginning in verse 27. If anyone of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against the commandments of the Lord, anything that ought not to be done, and he's guilty of that sin or the sin committed comes to knowledge. So there we are again, exactly the same process. And then it goes on to say about offering a goat. They lay hands on it again, and the priest takes some of the blood, puts it on the horns of the altar again, and repours the remains at the base of the altar. And it's pretty much the same process. Okay, so now we've looked at the high priest, the ruler, and the whole congregation as a unit, all of them together. And now he's mentioned common people. In other words, ordinary people, people individually members of that community and it's the same offering done in the same way okay we've just raced through 35 verses and what is going on here is pretty straightforward it's if anyone sins even unintentionally that they have to give an offering and there's a procedure to go through and the various people that do this can range from the high priest right down to the ordinary citizen the ordinary person and that is because, and that is telling us that this needs atoning for, clearly, but it means that everyone commits unintentional sin. 
But the difference we see here is when the sin offering reflects the fact that it is a private individual citizen's, his action polluted the sanctuary only to a limited extent. Therefore, the blood purification was only smeared on the horns of the altar of the burnt sacrifice. If, however, the whole nation sin, or the holiest member of that nation sins, the high priest, then that's more serious. The blood has to be taken from the tabernacle and sprinkled on the altar of of incense in front of the veil. And finally, it's worth adding at this point, over a period of years, it's believed that the sins of the nation would accumulate to such an extent that even the holiest of holies, where God dwelt, would become polluted, which is why, in order for God to continue to dwell amongst his people, there had to be this national day of cleansing called the Day of Atonement and a ceremony around that. So that's a summary statement covering all the various groups and yet pinpointing the distinction in the ritual between the groups. So if there's a lesson to be learned here, it's a really simple one, and it's this. All people sin. Everyone sins, and apparently God wants us to understand that, so much so that he's repeating the same thing over and over again, but saying that this applies to every strat of society and every citizen. The bottom line is, from the high priest to the ordinary guy in the street, people sin. And sometimes they even do it collectively. They do it as a community altogether. So that's chapter 4. But what's the relationship between chapter 4 and chapter 5, verses 1 to 13? Now, there's been a great debate by scholars about this since the chapter breaks were put in. Because it's after chapter 5, 14, it begins to talk about other kinds of offerings. So the question became is, does the opening section of chapter 5 actually belong with the guilt offerings in chapter 4? And that's been the ongoing debate. Now, without boring you with the details, I'm going to simply suggest that the sin offering and the guilt offering are so different, I have concluded, as have many others, that this goes, this opening section of chapter 5 goes with the sin offering, and the break in the narrative should really be halfway through at 5.13. You see, these sins are one of neglect. They are not premeditated. That's dealing primarily with unintentional acts in this passage. So what are those sins? Well, it's going to describe them for us in chapter 5, 1 to 13. Let's carry on straight into that chapter. And 5, 1 tells us, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness whether he sees or knows of the matter, if he does not tell, he then bears guilt. Okay, so this is the first of several unintentional sins described here. Sins that people can be guilty of, and this is one of sinning if they do not tell what they know when summoned to a court. This is when someone is a witness, and the content of the sin this time is in the court. They're called, they have a knowledge of the crime, yet they refuse to testify at the hearing, even after the high priest or the judge puts them under oath. In this instant, a person who does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify against someone or maybe even just withhold information, perhaps even through neglect, perhaps he intended to at some point but he didn't get round to it or he didn't simply tell everything he knew, that is a sin, unintentional or otherwise. Okay, the second example is given in verses 2 and 3. So remember, these are examples of unintentional sins. 
This one tells us if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall still be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanliness, whatever uncleanliness which a man may be defiled with, even if he's unaware of it, when he realizes it, he then shall then be guilty. Now, by the way, the last part of this verse really puts the finger on what's going on in this passage. He's unaware of it, it says, but then he realizes it. So it's saying it's what is called an unintentional sin. Now, later in the book, we're going to go all these things. And God said that certain things are clean and certain things are unclean. But this passage is saying, even without knowing it, if you untouch an unclean thing, then you're living in a state of sin. Now, this is in the sense that you are no longer holy. It's made you unclean, and you need to provide a sacrifice from, for that. And one illustration of that, a very simple one, but probably frequently occurred at that time, is the touching of a dead body. So if you unintentionally touched a dead body, according to the Mosaic law, you were immediately considered unclean, and you needed to be forgiven of that state and had that state removed from you, and this was done by symbolically making an offering. Now, I can imagine this happening quite a lot in those days. In fact, most times when people died. It's difficult enough today with our modern technology to know the point at which someone dies. So someone might be lying there, and people may wonder, are they asleep or dead? They may talk to them, maybe even shake them to see if they wake up. And then they find, of course, that they've touched a dead body. But at the time they did it, they didn't do it intentionally or maybe not even aware of it. And that's a great illustration of this sin. You would touch a dead body and of course you'd notice it's cold. But the moment you touched it, you had to deal with it. So this verse deals with the defilement contacted by living in a sinful world. In this case, illustrated by the touching of a dead body or something that's unclean. Even if you don't recognize it at the time. Okay, there's a third unintentional sin mentioned here, verse 4. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips, to do evil or to do good. Whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, but then realizes, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. Now, it's a little bit tricky to get to what this means. Some people have a bit of fun with it. But I suppose the way we could think about it is by me asking you the question, have you ever spoke out thoughtlessly? I think we've all done that, haven't we? Well, that's part of what's been talked about here, but it's not all of us. What it's really drawing attention to is about pronouncing an oath and doing that thoughtlessly. In other words, saying something that subsequently you're unable to fulfill, a vow or a promise you make, and the idea of this verse, if you make such a vow and you did it, as it turns out, too quickly or without thinking of the full ramifications, then after you've said it, you might realize, I can't really do that or I don't have the ability to do that. Well, God says that's a sin because you shouldn't have made a vow without honoring. Therefore, you too need to make an offering. And next it tells us what you to do. So when you're guilty of any of these matters, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. 
So it states that the person should bring their sin offering to the Lord for that sin they have committed, even if they weren't unaware of it at the time. And the priest will make atonement for them concerning that sin. But again, there has to be a sacrifice. Now, I have good news for all of you listening to this today. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to bring a lamb or a goat to such things today because Christ takes away of the sins of the world and all that left for us to do is to confess. It is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin, so if it's called to our mind, we simply confess it. Now let's discuss the offerings. Now in the rest of these verses in this section up to verse 13 it's talking about the offerings i'm not going to read them all to you but you can follow along as i work through the verses on the episode notes page of this podcast verses 7 to 13 well verse 7 starts by saying that if a person is unable to bring a lamb they can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering So if you couldn't afford the more expensive animals, there was an option to bring an inexpensive animal like a pigeon. The person should bring those two pigeons to the priest. He will offer the sin offering first, but by bringing two, it means they're not able, they're not having to divide these small animals. But this is giving again in these verses, the procedure. We've seen this kind of thing time and time again. It's pretty much the same or a similar ritual that they go through each time. Again, the the priest makes atonement on behalf of the sin which the person has committed and it shall be forgiven. And then there's a blood sacrifice, which again is saying all of this shows that the priest needs to make atonement for the person for the sin they have committed in all matters, even if they're unaware of it. And then it tells us that it shall be forgotten. Now, I feel like we've jogged through this passage rather quickly. We've covered a lot of verses. I think the most I've ever covered in a Bible study. I suggest we'll break that record again very soon. But the basic point of chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 5, 13, is really relatively straightforward. It says, if you commit a sin, even when it's an unintentional sin, you are to do two things. First, acknowledge it, and then give an offering to the Lord. That's it. Now, I want to conclude today by making some observations of what this means for us today. As we ran through this passage, I believe there's a truth that emerged that we need to just ponder for a minute. You see, when we talk about sin, we even believers, and certainly most people out there, when they hear that word, they think of something that they did or did not do. Maybe perhaps something they should have done and didn't, or something they shouldn't have done, and underneath in their hearts they knew better. But as Christians... If there's unintentional sin in our lives going on, and there must be if we believe this passage, then how much trouble are we in? You and I could commit a sin and not even know about it. Well, what that tells me is, if those things are sins, then that leads me to suggest that sin is much more, much wider, much more all-encompassing than we normally think or classify it as. I think the average person defines sin which something which someone else does and they don't do. Certainly, the vast majority of people think that sin is an overt act of doing something. But according to this mass passage, sin is something that permeates our whole lives, even when we're not aware of it. 
And that leads me to my next observation. I want to direct your attention to the book of John 1, specifically chapter 1. And that's because this is the subject that this entire chapter, it revolves around dealing with the presence of sin in the life of a believer. The chapter addresses this quite explicitly for us from a New Testament perspective. Let me just read a couple of verses for you from 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. It says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sins. So there's a sense in which when you really immerse yourself in the scriptures and you're walking closely with the Lord, then because you're walking in the light, you will begin to realize what you've done and the things you do are sins. You're given that discernment. You see, people who don't do that, they live in darkness and they may not realize, if I use the metaphor, that the shirt they're wearing is dirty. It's only when they get in the light and they see the light shining on it, they can realize, wow, the light has exposed that thing. So as Christians, we walk in the light. So what happens then? Because that light is going to expose for us more sin, more way in which we fall short and should be living. Well, keep reading and be encouraged because it says in 1 John verse 1, the next couple of verses, 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, we need to dig into this a bit deeper because this is really important. Verse 7 refers to the sacrifice and then verse 9 talks about an acknowledgement, a confession. The sacrifice is quite simple. It tells us the sacrifice has now been made, replaced through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and that cleanses us from all sin. Got it? That's the confession part, the acknowledgements part. That's why I brought you to this chapter. This is one of the few verses in the New Testament that discusses the Christian view of the idea of confession. James talks about it a little, but that's about confessing to one another as believers. But this chapter addresses confessing those things that are drawn to our attention. And if we examine these verses closely, well, what I'm about to tell you is really important. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins, comma, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus is saying if we confess our sins that we know because they've been exposed to the light, so those are sins we know about, because we're in relationship, fellowship with him, and he's made that sacrifice, then he cleanses us from all those sins. But then it adds on, and all unrighteousness. So in other words, friends, you and I are not under the Mosaic law. We don't have to worry about unintentional sins, the things that we're not aware of. So as long as we're walking in the light, we're going to be able to acknowledge and confess the sins that we know about. And then when Jesus' sacrifices cleanses us from those sins, it also adds that it cleanses us from those sins and all unrighteousness, which means it includes the ones we don't even know about. You got it? You're forgiven of all of this stuff. And that's really good news. 
Hear me and heal me well, friends, if you're walking in the light and confessing those sins as they're brought to light in your spirit, then you are cleansed not only from those sins, but from all unrighteousness. Got it? You're forgiven of everything because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And I want to close by saying this. Under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus cleanses the believer from all sins. Thereby, that means these types of Levitical offerings, they're now obsolete for Christian believers. In terms of our forgiveness and our being fit for heaven, through Christ's death we have been purified from sin and any contamination or any condemnation that might have been due by living in this world that is full of sin. We simply, as we become aware of things, simply have to acknowledge it. Confession is just acknowledging it before God, agreeing with God in the knowledge that the Lord will always offer forgiveness, that we can always find that forgiveness through the provision of the eternal sacrifice of Jesus as he died in the cross in our place. Christ died as the final sin offering. He is our substitute. His sacrifice for our sake is done under the new covenant. The new covenant, the blood of Christ, cleanses the believer from all sin and all unrighteousness. And the good news is that that means that you and I are no longer under the Old Testament law described here in Leviticus. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope that helped put some of these tricky, difficult passages from the Old Testament into some, uh, give you a bit of insight into it. The point of the Levitical chapter is pointing forward to the New Testament and it's just simply meant to serve all this stuff as reminders that we live in a state of sin. It's more than just what we do or don't do. It covers even our unintentional transgressions. And we know, and I hope I've reminded you, that God's provided a way for all of us to find forgiveness and cleansing through Christ's sacrifice in its entirety. So with that all said, we leave it there today. Thank you for joining me. Don't forget, if you're here for the first time, to like and subscribe, and that way you'll never miss another single episode. That way you can join us on this journey through the entire Bible. Maybe even go back to the start and do the whole project and work through it together with me. But also, as well as getting your podcast every day on your favorite podcast platform, why not visit the, where the podcast is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprite.com because there you'll find links to lots of ways you can get free resources like the episode notes page, the scriptures themselves, and even a full transcript of everything that I've said today. All of the stuff is available, freely available for you to use in whatever day is helpful for you in your own personal Bible study or even in the preparation of uh, preaching or teaching that you might do yourself. Please take it with my blessing and I trust the Lord's and do with it as you will. And with that all said, do come back here again tomorrow or very soon as we together work together through the whole Bible, the Word of God, in the Bible Project 
Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.